welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast, where all things entertainment cross over with all things pop culture, meaning all topics are fair discussion, including TV, movies, music, sports, video games. All of it is discussed on this podcast. On this week's episode of the podcast, 25 years since the premiere of Independence Day in theaters, the blockbuster hit movie, I'm going to go back and share some of my memories of one of my favorite movies of all time, Independence Day, and also go over some of the awesome things in this Hollywood Reporter article that was done about the movie, and also Big Brother 23, it's underway, and it's a very encouraging start. I'm going to talk about the premiere and also the happenings on the live feeds today since the premiere has aired, so let's get right into this podcast. One of my favorite movies of all time, Independence Day, had its big anniversary this past week. 25 years, amazingly. 25 years since the release of that movie in the summer of 1996. Just a huge blockbuster movie. A lot of hype. Had a lot of buzz going into it. And I remember seeing all the ads and everything where I just thought this is going to be such an awesome movie. I love the cast. and It just seemed like this was going to be a lot of fun. I remember seeing it when it was brand new in the theater. Went with a bunch of my friends. And that place was packed. When we walked in, the previews were going on. And the only place to sit was in the front row. And that's not somewhere you want to sit when you're at the theater. The front row is the last place you want to sit. But it was our only option. And I remember just how much we loved that movie. Even though we were sitting on the front row. It didn't change the fact of... It didn't change anything on our enjoyment of that movie at all. I remember us being like laid back on our chairs with our necks back. And, of course, you know, throughout the movie, there's a lot of uh, text that pops up on the screen that you have to read. And, it's you know, where they'd pop up, like, the location that they're at. And I remember all of our heads would go from left to right (laughs) as we would read it across the screen. I always remembered that. And there's just... It was just such a fun crowd to watch it with. I remember... uh, If you remember the one... Of course, you remember the scene where... After the destruction happens, after the attack, the initial attack, and the the screen goes black where that scene goes black, and then it comes back up, and you see the moment of like the destruction, and it shows the shot of the Statue of Liberty where it's on the ground, and it's just such a wild shot to see. And I remember the guys behind us, they were... They were kind of cracking us up throughout because they were they were loving the movie. But I remember clearly when that scene popped up and they showed that shot of the Statue of Liberty. They go, "Oh, expletive!" <laughs> and we we cracked up laughing in front of them. But I mean, it just goes to show how much that movie pulled you in and the effects of that thing because. Those scenes in New York and Washington, D.C. with that alien attack is just incredible to to see and just how impressive that looked. It was just like nothing that I'd ever seen in a movie. Just incredible, the work that they did on that. 
So beyond that, I mean, of course, the video came out, I think maybe that November, if I remember right, it was sometime like uh, late fall. And I remember getting the VHS. I bought it on the day it was released. I do know that. And it went from my house to my friend's house. We would watch it over there. They would borrow it. I would watch it at my house. That VHS traveled a bunch through me and my friends. And of course, it was a big uh, surround sound movie for me. I loved working my surround sound with that movie because it just sounded so awesome. And just a movie that, goodness, it got so much repeat viewing. And we never got tired of it. I remember going to one of my friends. uh, His cousin had like a... uh, like a projector set up in his house and you put the video in it and it would project up onto the wall. And I just thought that was so cool. I was like, wow, this is awesome because it was like the closest thing you could get to the theater experience again. It's like, oh, cool. It projects, you know, it was just such cool technology at the time. And it's funny just how Independence Day with that being such a blockbuster was how it was working through technology of like working surround sound or projectors or whatever. It was just such a blockbuster and I just, I loved it. I still love it. Top five all time movie for me. And the Hollywood reporter did an amazing article on this movie. They interviewed so many people. They interviewed Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum. They interviewed, Roland Emmerich, Dean Devlin, of course, writer-producer Dean Devlin, Roland Emmerich, the director, uh, Randy Quaid, Vivica Fox. They interviewed so many people in this. And I'm going to, I just thought, you know, I'm going to go and kind of hit some highlights of this article and kind of talk about some of the things that were revealed that I had, I did not know myself. So this was quite a good education for me just on one of my favorite movies of all time. So let's talk about this article. Of course, if you want to read the full article, it's the Hollywood Reporter. It's called, You Can't Actually Blow Up the White House, An Oral History of Independence Day. And of course, the start of it talks about is the beloved film turns 25 director Roland Emmerich, writer Dean Devlin, and stars Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman, Vivica Fox, Randy Quaid, and more look back at the battle to cast Will Smith, concerns over that famous Super Bowl ad, and a last-minute reshoot to save the ending. The Super Bowl ad was interesting. That was something that they had to battle with because in the Super Bowl ad, they were wanting to put the scene in there of the White House blowing up, which is what the, of course, what the title of this article is referencing and they really had to battle over that and they eventually got their way they got that in there and it really got a lot of eyes on that movie and they talked about how you know there was a lot of pushback on it but that the pushback wasn't warranted because (laughs) it actually tested very well and it got a lot of attention on that movie and a lot of hype leading up to the summer. And of course, again, this was a Super Bowl ad. So this is months before this came out. So this was something that really got attention on this movie right away. So let's talk about, you know, right from the writers, producers, director standpoint with Devlin and Emmerich, they had talked about that 
when they were going to do this movie, they had heard that Tim Burton was shooting a an alien movie as well that was very close to what they were doing. And if you're a big movie person, you're probably already thinking of what that movie is, Mars Attacks. That was the movie that was being released, and they started digging around trying to figure out when that was going to be released because they were trying to get Independence Day out first. They didn't want to be behind Mars Attacks because Mars Attacks was a comedy. They didn't want to put out an alien movie like this intense, you know, with it being a blockbuster. And they didn't want to be behind a comedy of an alien movie. So... August of 1996 was when Mars Attacks was going to be released. So they put their foot down like, we have to be out before this movie comes out. So as far as the script and everything itself, they auctioned the script off and they said it was a battle between 20th 20th Century Fox and Universal. And of course, 20th Century Fox got it. Now in that deal, this is a big thing. This is going to be something that played throughout Independence Day with the producing of this movie. In the deal that they made with 20th Century Fox, the negotiations were put in that the director had the last cut. Like, he had the law, (laughs) basically, of anything, like, script-wise or whatever. This is me, you know? So, very, very big thing, and you're going to find out like throughout some of this I'm going to tell you about that that was a major thing. I'm really glad they got that in there, considering some of the things you hear. So originally, they said the studio, they wanted the movie out on Memorial Day, and they were saying that the name Independence Day wasn't testing well, and they were like, nope, not happening. It's Independence Day, and we're going to release it on Independence Day. It's not Memorial Day, it's Independence Day. That's the name of this movie. This is what we're going to do. And, of course, later on, we're going to find out some more things that they tied to that to make sure to lock that thing down, too. So Devlin talked about that he wanted Jeff Goldblum from day one, and he also wanted the combination of Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. And if you've seen this movie, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith are so good in this movie. The way they play off each other, whether it's action, comedy, they're so good. Like, I can't imagine either of them not in that role. Just perfect casting. So here's the thing. The studio said, we don't like Will Smith. We don't want him in this role. We think he's unproven. He doesn't work in international markets. They also said, also adding that you cast a black guy in this part, you're going to kill the foreign box office. What? (laughs) What? It's so... Emmerich fought for Will Smith, and he won that battle, and he got Will Smith. And he even went as far as to say, I want Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, so give me them, or I'm going to move over to Universal, because they keep calling me every day wanting this movie. And he said, he said looking back, that he didn't even think that was possible, but it, but it was something that he could use for leverage, and it worked. He, the leverage worked. Think about that. They didn't. I, I I got nothing. I've got nothing. And one thing I always notice 
how many of these movies and TV shows have like suggestions and everything from higher ups that make zero sense and are worse ideas and bad ideas. It reminds me of like Back to the Future when uh you know you had that story where you had Sid Sheinberg who was from Universal studio executive. He didn't like the title of Back to the Future and he wanted to name the movie Spaceman from Pluto. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that story or not, but he sent a letter to Steven Spielberg that he didn't like the title. He's like, I think we should name it Spaceman from Pluto. Can you imagine Back to the Future named Spaceman from Pluto? But actually what they did, if you're not familiar with the story, Spielberg, they were trying to figure out how to play this up, you know, to where they didn't, I guess, just rip this guy. What they did, they sent a letter back, a because they got the memo from Sid, and they sent one back saying, thank you for your most humorous memo of such and such date. We all got a big laugh out of it. Keep them coming. Basically, they came up with the idea of like, let's let's just take it as a big joke. Yeah, the office got such a big joke and a big laugh out of that. Thank you so much for sending that laugh. We got such a great, great laugh out of it. You just made our day. So after that, what if you're the person that sent that over, do you want to embarrass yourself? and say, oh, no, that was actually serious. Of course you're not going to say that. So that was just like another example. That's one thing I thought of with with like this battling that you see that goes on. A lot of times these higher-ups think that it's like, oh, this is great. This will be perfect. No, it's not. It's not great. It's not perfect, and it's really bad. Stick with the original plan, <laughs> you know. So, But there's a few things in here, and one of them was Will Smith, and... Man, Will Smith was just so good in that movie. He just, I can't imagine it without him. He was just so great, just awesome. And that was my, that was probably like, besides Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, as far as I can remember, oh, no, I think Bad Boys, Bad Boys was first. Yes, Bad Boys was first. Right? Yes, Bad Boys was first. That was 95. And Bad Boys was a big hit, too. So Will Smith had big momentum at this point. So, Vivica A. Fox talked about in this article, she said that she auditioned six times to get the part, which is incredible. And I, she was so great in this movie, too. I just thought she was awesome. On the production side, they talked about how the movie was filmed in Utah. It was filmed in Long Beach and in New York. As far as, like, the Utah end, it was shot in a town called Windover. And that's where you see, you know, the salt flats. That's where that stuff was shot from. And they said Wendover, they actually said Wendover was just this little town, had a couple casinos. And they said that the thing was about Wendover is that it was so hot there in the summer that they said people don't even bother going there for like three months of the year in the summer because it's so hot. So the hotel rooms were super cheap as a result. And they said they stayed there for like three weeks. And that is actually where they shot the first scene. The first scene that was shot of Independence Day was the ending scene to where, you know the scene I'm talking about, where they come they come through there and, and the victory, you know, that big epic scene, that scene at the end where you have Will Smith walking through there with Jeff Goldblum. Just an awesome, awesome scene. They said it was actually 123 degree heat 
is what they were shooting that scene in. So I'm going to read some of what Devlin had to say. I thought this was very impressive on Will Smith here. Devlin said, The first thing we shot was the ending scene. We were out on the salt flats of Utah in 123 degree heat. They had a tent set up off camera for everybody to gather in the shade. Roland does the first rehearsal and he sends everybody to the tent and the stand-ins come out. All of a sudden, Will Smith walks back out and excuses the stand-in. The other actors see him doing that and one by one, they came out of the tent. All of them were there in the burning heat. It was a silent statement about the way this project was going to go. Will started it. This is not going to be a show of egos. Very awesome. I love that. Love that a lot. So then we move on to like Jeff Goldblum where they talked about the scene with the cigars with him and Will Smith. Very famous scene. And they talked about Goldblum said he wasn't a cigar smoker and that it actually would make him groggy. So he said that there was actually like a nice assistant director who would stand by and a couple of minutes before every take, the assistant director would get the cigar going and then he would hand it off to Goldblum when it was time to shoot the scene. So very, very cool. And so they talked about like the must go faster line from, and it's of course a line that Goldblum used in Jurassic Park. They said that was actually an improv line suggested from Devlin saying, well, we're probably going to cut this later, but you have to give me that line. And they obviously kept the line in there because it's in the movie with a must go faster, must go faster. So, and then it talked about like uh, some of the other improv that they did. Goldblum said, he said, uh, I remember improvising the fat lady singing. The fat lady, you're obsessed with the fat lady. Something like that. We improvised. We were fooling around, having a good time. And Emmerich talks about, he has this line too, as far as more of their like planning with that scene. He said, at one point, Will says to me, how do I know how to steer this UFO? So we made a sticker, forward, backward, sideways. He then immediately said, oh, I know what, I know what I do. He does forward, but it's the backward. So he bangs into something and then Jeff Goldblum's reaction is priceless. He turns the sticker around and goes forward. He says, you go that way. And I thought that was a really good backstory on that scene because that scene's so awesome. Like I love, I love the moment to where they're sitting there, you know, waiting to upload the virus and the alien ship overrides them and the windows start going up on it. And Goldblum's line, the way he delivers that line of uh, expletive <laughs> when when uh, when they realize they're being seen, he's like, hide. <laughs> they jump down to keep from being seen. I love that delivery of that line. It makes me laugh every time. Goldblum is just awesome. They are great in that whole scene there at the end and the victory scene there. And David Brenner, who was the editor, he talked about the Goldblum, Will Smith stuff, where he said, I just felt free to put in stuff I thought was fun and cool. Even if it sometimes was going to make a scene longer, you want to get this stuff in because you are not sure at the end how much comedy plays. And Devlin talks about the barbecue line. You know, I could have been at a barbecue. And that line wasn't scripted. He says, I actually shot some of that on second unit. I said to Will... Don't even look at the text. Let's just do a bunch of takes and whatever comes to your mind, just do it. We did like nine takes and each one he did a different line. 
Roland picked the best lines from three or four takes and combined them. The one line that was written was, that's what I call a close encounter. But all the lines leading up to it, that was Will. That's amazing. I love that. Uh, Jeff Goldblum talks about how him and Harry Connick Jr. became friends while shooting the movie. He said Connick uh, come over to his house one day and they were playing piano together. Very cool. Lisa Jacob, they interviewed her in this. Of course, she was in a lot of different movies at that time. Her biggest role at that point, probably, I don't know. I was going to say it's her biggest role to date, but this is a big role too because it's such a blockbuster but she was in Mrs. Doubtfire. She played the daughter on Mrs. Doubtfire. And so she was coming off of that. And so she goes into this. I thought she was great in this. I loved the family. I thought that family uh, dynamic was really fun playing off of Randy Quaid. It was good stuff. And she was interviewed in this and she talked about her experience. And she said, I would fly in for a few days of shooting and then I'd go home and then a few weeks later, I would fly in again for a few more days, and then I'd go home. So it was more challenging to get that chance to bond with my coworkers the way that I had on other shoots. But I did get to bond with Andrew Keegan, who was the you-don't-want-to-die-virgin guy. He and I had worked together a few other times, so let's just say Independence Day was not the first time we had made out. It was fun to actually get paid for something we were going to do anyway. It's really funny. And that line's pretty iconic in that movie. And it's, you know that's some lame, like, guy pickup line that <laughs> some, guy would, some guy would use on a girl where it's like, come on, dude, really? It's like, that, that's your pickup line on her? Come on, buddy. Bill Pullman, this is really good stuff here. He talked about the iconic speech when, uh, you know, the motivational speech that he gives before they go into the battle to uh, try to win the war. And with that speech, Emmerich said, you know, he was just like, just write something for now and it'll be a temporary speech and then we'll work on it later. So he wrote something out very quickly and he never reread it. So Bill Pullman, this is what he had to say. We shot it really late in the night, maybe 2 a.m. I remember how good it felt to have a certain fatigue in it. The extras were tired, the ADs are tired, that fatigue can spread. And then I just thought, this is good. It really feels like we need to get everybody roused up a little bit and get ready for the fight. Devlin says in this interview, I was in a production office and they told me that they were about to start shooting the president's speech. I literally panicked. Oh no, I, I never rewrote the speech. Bill Pullman talked about, he said that he had a collection of CDs called 100 Great Speeches. And he talked about the one that really shook him that was on that collection was Robert Kennedy's speech after he had found out that Martha, Martin Luther King had passed away. Devlin said he came running down to the set to work on the speech and Pullman was already rehearsing with the extras and that the extras loved the speech that he had just scribbled down real fast. So Pullman, and here's what he had to say in this interview where he's talking about the speech. There was a little hitch in the beginning of Robert Kennedy's speech, something like, can you lower those signs? Some little moment he was dealing with just trying to get people's attention. I told Dean and Roland, we should have trouble with the mic working. Something like that, a little feedback, just trying those things like that. Just trying those things that happen that you have to forbear before you start, which is, of course, leading up to the line you know, where he grabs the, grabs the mic and he's like, good morning. And then, good morning. And it finally goes through. 
So I knew what he was talking about immediately when he was mentioning that line. Uh, Devlin said, we were in the middle of a war with the studio over the title, going back to that. And because the studio wanted to name the film Doomsday, so I ran in and said, change the last line to, today we celebrate our Independence Day. That's the only change to the speech that happened. So Brenner, the editor, he said, I put that together, and Dean and Roland were like, this isn't changing. Some scenes you want to use temp music to help you communicate the emotion, and that was one of them. It was a piece from Apollo 13. It started with this trumpet, and it was echoey. It had this military drum, and it just rose. It was kind of our idea of how the music should be at the end. Bill Pullman, his comments here, he said, A day or two later, Dean came to the trailer with a VHS, and he played me the speech. He said, I want you to see it because we're going to take this to Fox because we are, go we are trying to make a case for the title of the film. So they really use this moment to throw in that very last thing at the very last minute to try to hammer that of, we want this title to be Independence Day. And this is another way we can solidify that. So just so much. There's so many cool stories in this article that I just loved. Of course, they talk about the special effects. <sighs> Insane. The special effects, just, I'd never seen anything like this when, the first time I'd seen this movie. It's like, this is incredible. They said the special effects were done over nine months with different teams. One thing they said, Fox wasn't happy with the length of the movie, and they wanted it cut down. And if you're familiar with the DVD, they actually have an extended version that's got some more extra scenes on it. And so they actually wanted it cut down, you know, from the original length. And they said that they actually watched the whole movie and they couldn't find anything they wanted to cut. They watched it with the editor and said that they tested it. It tested through the roof with the crowds. They said the only thing that didn't test well was that they said they didn't like the Russell moment where he was flying his crop duster with a bomb rope to his plane, saying that was very unrealistic. So you may be thinking, well, that that's different. It's different from what the plan was and what the plan ended up being in the movie. They said that it got a big laugh with the audience, but they said that when they were listening to the laugh, they said that wasn't a good laugh. So the original script that they had written had Russell in the F-16, so the new idea, they said, was come up with by a visual effects supervisor from Stargate that read the script and said that he come up with the idea and said he should fly his crop duster up there, and that's how it does it. And the writers, they said, good idea, and they changed it. And they said when they tested the movie with that, it tested in the low 90s. And so they decided what they wanted to do was reshoot the ending, saying it's not the right laugh, we don't like it, we need to go back to the original plan, stick with the original script. And they said the studio didn't understand why they would want to reshoot it. And they did a one-day reshoot, talked them into spending all the money to get the reshoot done, and it ended up being reshot into what we saw it ended up being, which is Russell sacrificed himself in that F-16, and that, that was the original plan in the movie. And they said when they did that, the testing of the movie jumped up to a 98 with the new ending. So that was absolutely the right call. I can't, I, I would think if I'd seen that too, 
I don't feel like it would have been as impactful with the crop duster. I think it would have come off a little cheesy. And I think that's probably the laugh that they were getting where it's like, okay, that's, I get it, but it's cheesy. And they were kind of, it's like the cheesy laugh. I think it would have took some of the impact off of that. So them going back to the original plan was the right thing to do. So Emmerich talked about, he says here, at the end, we just had to pull out our old script. It was two or three scenes we had to do and 16 shots we had to exchange. It was two weeks in front of the release. Fox freaked out. (laughs) Brenner, the editor, he talks about, we added a story to him, talking about uh, Russell, to where he ends up being recruited as a pilot, so he comes back. And they also upped his story about the alcoholic father who is searching for redemption. So Devlin says, the last test screening we did was in Las Vegas, and the audience didn't know what movie they were coming to see. Roland and I are sitting in the back of the theater, and the film starts. As soon as the audience sees Independence Day, they went insane. The movie hadn't started yet, and the audience is freaking out like we were in a rock concert. Brenner said, the camera pans up, we see the spaceship, and then something is wrong. The roar is coming in the wrong place, and then the white flash happens and it's out of sync. Roland looks at me, and then the whole movie goes, and something broke. They had to turn on the lights. Devlin says, and the lights come up, and it takes us ten minutes to fix the film, and the cheering never stopped through the entire ten-minute break. When the film started up again, I turned to Roland and said, we've got lightning in a bottle. Emmerich said, we finished and shipped the movie to theaters four or five days before it got released, which at that time was a real risk because you had to send it all in the mail. So Devlin says, shortly after the movie came out, Spielberg called us on the phone just to say how much he liked the movie and how he was so interested in how we combined genres. And he goes, I loved all your references, especially to all of my movies. He also said, I just want you to be prepared. Right now, everybody is celebrating your movie. But a year from now, they are going only going to focus on how much money it made. And they are going to somehow think the movie was not as good because it made so much money. But just know, you made a great movie. And Devlin says, I used to always throw a giant party every year at the Sundance Film Festival. And the very next year, we threw our annual party And people were looking at us like, we're the man, we're the enemy. We did a commercial movie. (laughs) And Emmerich says, Spielberg invited us to the Jurassic Park 2 set. And the first line he says to Dean and me is, you guys reinvented the blockbuster. After this movie, nobody can do a normal blockbuster anymore. What a compliment. Man. So... Of course, the film opened on July 2nd, 1996 for a Tuesday preview. It earned $11 million on that one night, which was which was a record. It was a record for a Tuesday preview. And the, at the time, the record was $5 million. And of course, it finished with $817.4 million globally. So yeah, those are some of the highlights I picked out from this article that's just awesome. Go read it if uh, if you haven't seen it. You can't actually blow up the White House. Oral history of Independence Day. They have more stories in there about casting, some Randy Quaid stuff. They have the story of when they screened it for Bill and Hillary Clinton while they were while he was in the White House. Well, while they were in the White House while he was president, and just they've got a lot of good stories with that and his reaction and. 
it's uh, there's just a lot of good stuff in this article that I did not know about. I just I love this. It was just such a great companion piece, you know, to celebrate the 25th anniversary. Like I said, one of my favorite movies of all time, top five all time, and just a movie that I just always love whenever I see it on TV or anytime I can get a repeat viewing. It's definitely a win. We are off and running. Big Brother 23 premiered last night on CBS. A, a strong premiere. I, I really enjoyed the premiere last night. There was a lot going on. I liked the twist. I thought it it just paced very well. There was a lot going on. I like the cast so far. They really are giving off a great first impression. And yeah, I mean, I really can't ask for a better start for this season. So before we get into the actual premiere and a lot of the happenings and recapping and just all the things going on in Big Brother in the last 24 hours, we got to start with a casting change here. Of course, last week I talked about Christy being in. She was going to be one of the 16 house guests here. Right leading up to Big Brother in the, like a couple days before, we learned that Christy was out. And that there was going to be a replacement. So we didn't know why and what had happened. And Christy put out a video saying that she had tested positive for COVID-19. Also adding that she was fully vaccinated as well and still tested positive for COVID-19. So just a bummer that Christy's out. You just, you hate seeing anybody that wants to play this game, you know, and it gets taken away from them. So I just I hate that. Hopefully, maybe they can do something for her like next season. Maybe they bring her back next season or something to where she gets to gets to compete in this game, you know. So it was that was such a bummer to to learn. So let's talk about her replacement. And I'm going to go over the same thing I did last week. We're just going to hit some of the highlights of her bio. So Claire is the replacement. She is 25. She is from New York City and an AI engineer. Three words that describe her. She says, clever, driven, and spunky. Favorite activities, reading novels, playing my Nintendo Switch, completing crosswords, also became passionate about going on long walks in Central Park to bird watch and doing yoga in my tiny apartment. What about her favorite house guest duos in Big Brother history? So she said, Lisa and Danielle from BB3. That's an impressive answer. One thing I've learned about Claire, she she's a fan. She's a super fan. She she knows what she's doing. She's a super fan of Survivor, Big Brother. She, she knows her stuff here. So the fact that she threw out Lisa and Danielle from Big Brother 3 is pretty impressive. She said, after Lisa lost her showman's partner and then pulled one of the most cutthroat moves we've ever seen, not voting him back in, they were able to link up, adapt, and run the game. Similarly, Allison and June, who paired up at the end of BB4, both women played such smart floater games. While I couldn't play that style of game, I respect how they evolved the game forward. Nowadays, we rarely see strong, dynamic female female duos, which I definitely want to change. Uh, as far as favorite past moments of Big Brother, my personal favorite 
past moment isn't really a moment. It was an experience watching Vanessa Russo from Big Brother 17 play the game on the live feeds and show. It was my very first season. I was blown away by how Vanessa could get herself out of any situation when her back was against the wall. I love it when someone is willing to take chances, make mistakes, and get messy. So she's went back and watched. You know, so she is a fan. So that's, that's a good thing. Uh, strategy for winning the game. I'll win with my intelligence, drive, and adaptability. I'll sniff out the big threats quickly and navigate my way through the game by creating advantageous alliances. I believe I'll thrive in a chaotic environment, something I learned from my childhood and from working in such a rapidly changing field. See, hopefully people will underestimate me the first couple of weeks and give me time to build up relationships before I can unleash my cutthroat gameplay. Life motto, it's better to have a bad story than no story. Fun facts about herself, I was one of the first women to graduate with a data science engineering degree from the University of Michigan. I've written code that's been on satellites, used in national election campaigns, and by many of the top Fortune 500 companies. I competed in speed programming competitions in college and have placed in a 20,000-person hackathon before. My last name means Deerfoot in German, which is fitting because many family members, myself included, have two partially or totally webbed toes. So that is a little info on Claire. That is our replacement for Christy. So we're back to 16 house guests. So let's get into this premiere. I really like this premiere. I love the little facts that they throw in there at the beginning of the episode where they talked about 94 cameras in this house, 113 mics. I like those little details like that, just to tell you how big the production is and everything. I love the new look of the stage. They had a new look with that, with the neon colors and the new neon like logo they had going on. Really loved that. I thought the I thought the look of that was really good. So again, sixteen new house guests, three months, and billed as the biggest prize money ever. We'll get there. So here's the twist. So they're going to go in the house four at a time. We're going to have the first four guys, the first four girls, the second four guys, the second four girls, and so on and so on. So that's the plan. And then when they get into the house, the first four guys are going to compete in a competition to where the winner of that is going to move on to the HOH competition. So the first four guys in the house, Travis, Derek F., Frenchie, and Xavier, so they all go in the house, battle it out. They were they were taking their time to the to the backyard. They all Julie says, you know, immediately go to the backyard. And of course they're taking it in as they go, because it's hard not to. I mean, you walk in there and you're a fan. So they so of course with that they have to win the competition, but also they're going to earn power to change the course of the game. So not only are they going to move on to the HOH competition to try to crown a winner there. Whoever wins each competition of these four is going to earn some power. So, Frenchie wins the puzzle competition. Frenchie moves on. He's going to get that. So, the first four girls that move on... Of course, while I'm talking about one thing I really liked, I liked Oz's uh, thing with her. One thing I want to talk about the video packages, because this is where I'm going... I thought the video packages of the house guests were so good. These were some of the best like house guest video packages that they've done in years. 
because they're always so cheesy and overproduced to where they're just really annoying to watch. These felt more real. I don't know if that was, I don't know if it's like a different cast with it being a different cast and like style or if it's the way that they were producing it. I don't know what made the difference, but it was so good. I just, I really enjoyed the video packages. I felt like I got to know them even more. We learned more. Of course, we'd gotten all the preseason stuff, but we learned even more. And we learned that Aza, again, is pushing the no showmances. She's like, no, 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 no showmances. Like that a lot. So, one, the, so the first four girls in the house were Aza, Alyssa, Brittany, Whitney. And so... They were doing also, this was a nice touch too. And of course it got a pretty big reaction online because it's a, it was a live move in. This The premiere was live. We were watching them move in live. And they were rolling these video packages in in a little screen on the side with uh, them sitting in the diary room. And of course people online are like, what? What is this madness? You know, this is, this is the live move in. So, which I get, it was funny. But, you know, you have to remember it's like the diary room. Uh, you know, there's basically a back door to the diary room. I mean, how many times have, whenever somebody's in trouble, they're just like, yeah, don't, don't even sit down, just keep walking. <laughs> and they ex escort them out the back door. So we do know, and I get it, but it's also, it's uh, just picking at it a little bit. I think people were kind of, but they were, they were having fun picking at it. So we got that, and then one thing Ozzy was talking about is that she said she does not want to win the first competition because she wants to target whoever wins the first competition. I like that a lot. So, of course, this competition, I didn't say it at the time, but this was like a puzzle competition that they had going. Whitney wins this one out of the four girls. So we get to the next one, next four guys. It's Christian, Derek X. Keelan Brent. Christian wins this competition, and he had a great strategy for this. Everybody else was doing the puzzle thing, like trying to fit the pieces and trying to do it that way. He laid his puzzle pieces down on the ground, sorted them, got them in order, and then put them in there. And he did it on like his only attempt. He was the only one that even attempted to win this where he had it. So he was fast. He was great. So Christian wins, moves on, and the only thing I was kind of bummed about as this was going on, you could see upstairs up in the balcony there in the backyard where the ones that had already competed, they were all up there talking. And of course, we're not seeing that interaction. And I thought, man, I'm kind of bummed that we're not getting that because I want to hear that first interaction up there. So that was the only thing that I was kind of bummed with. Next four girls was Sarah Beth, Hannah, Tiffany, and Claire. So Tiffany, they brought her video thing up, and hers was very different from Oz's. Tiffany said, I plan on winning everything. <laughs> that's my that's my strategy. So Claire wins this one. She won it on her second attempt. So after we get all that done, all of those compete, and then this gives us the first twist of this season. So it's revealed that all the teams are going to be playing in teams of four and which again, the teams of four, 
This is being done, I don't remember if I talked about this last week or not, but this is a good plan to where this is going to break up the big alliance. This, which is kind of funny because there's kind of a big alliance trying to form in there right now. We'll talk about that later, <laughs> which is chaos. But this is something that's being done to try to break up the big alliance and try to try to split this up and make this more even. So here's the twist. So all the winners of these competitions, they're going to be team captains. So you have Christian, Whitney, Claire, and Frenchie. They're the winners. They're the team captains. So here's how these teams are going to play out. One at a time, each person is going to hit the button, and two options are going to pop up on the screen with a little video that's like a little intro video of each one, just some random, you know, intro of something about them or whatever that pops up there. And then you have to pick which of those two you want to pick. So we get to Frenchie. He's the first one up. And we get the team names. It's going to be Team Jokers. Not the website. If you're a Big Brother fan, you know Jokers Updates. They've been around a long time. That's the first thing I thought of when they said Team Jokers. I was like, yay, Jokers Updates. But that's not what it's referring to. Because we've got the casino theme going. It was Club BB's Open Air Casino. So each of these four teams are named off of that kind of theme with the casino. So Frenchie has an option of Hannah or Aza. He picks Aza. Whitney is up next for a team captain. They are revealed to be team aces. She gets to pick between Brent or Travis. And I did laugh at this because Brent like gave like this really good answer. And then Travis was basically like, sounded like his was something like Love Island or whatever. And uh, I, <laughs> I wish I remembered what he said, but I did like Whitney's line where she's like, yeah, Travis is cute, but that's not a very good argument <laughs> of why I should pick you. So that was funny. Christian, Team Kings. He was picking between Alyssa or Tiffany. He picked Alyssa. Claire, Team Queens. She picked between Keelan or Xavier and one thing that was interesting here, remember that Xavier is an attorney. When on his intro video here, he said he was a bartender. So he's clearly going to be one of these house guests that is hiding their real occupation to not put a target on themselves. So I did laugh when he said that, where he's like, I'm Xavier and I'm a bartender. And I was like, okay, there you go. Good play. So we start roaming back around, second picks. Frenchie picks between Sarah Beth or Brittany. He picks Brittany. Whitney picks between Derek X or Derek F. He picks Derek X. Christian picks between Xavier and Derek F. And another, I loved Xavier's line here where he said, I'm Xavier and I'm single and saving myself for Zingbot. I thought that was a great line. I think I'm going to like Xavier a lot. I've, He's probably my favorite so far. I really like this guy. And so again, Christina, she picked Xavier. Claire picked between Sarah Beth or Tiffany. She picked Tiffany. Frenchie picks between Travis or Derek F. He picks Derek F. And Whitney picks between Hannah or Sarah Beth. And she picks Hannah. So... That leaves Sarah Beth and Travis, and there's not going to be a pick here because we've got to keep the male-female 
ratio separated and keep it even. So Sarah Beth goes to the Kings. Travis goes to the Queens. So here are your team. Here are your teams as they set up. Team Jokers is Frenchie, Aza, Brittany, and Derek F. The Aces, Whitney, Brent, Derek X, Hannah. The Kings, Christian, Alyssa, Xavier, Sarah Beth. The Queens, Ke Claire, sorry, Keeland, Tiffany, and Travis. So, and again, another thing playing off of the occupation, Sarah Beth talked about that she was a voice actress. She's not a voice actress. She's a scientist. So that's another person that is hiding her true thing. So we get to the HOH competition, first one of the season here to decide who's going to get power. The four teams are going to go against each other. The winning team, their captain, will be the HOH. The whole team will be safe. The last team to complete the HOH challenge will be the have-nots for the week. And this is a house of cards competition to where they have to balance, they have to form this puzzle, balance it where it's stretched out on ropes to where they have to hold it up. All their team members are holding it up while the other person's constructing it. And they're having to keep these ropes straight and balanced to where the puzzle doesn't tip over. So that's how that goes. And Christian actually is the first one to go for the buzzer to have it. But the puzzle fell before he could get over there and hit the buzzer. And also during this competition, there's these cards up above. And they're tipping down every so often. And they might knock your puzzle over. And at one point, it about took out Keelan. <laughs> he about did duck in time. I was like, oh my goodness, we almost lost Keelan right in the first competition. That wouldn't have been good. So... Jokers end up winning. Frenchie is the one that buzzes in. Jokers are first. Queen's second. Aces third. The Kings are last, and they are going to be the have-nots for the week. So now Frenchie is two for two in competitions. Remember, he won the first competition, and now he's won the second one. And now he's going to get an offer for the first risk or reward for the season. This is going to be a twist to where throughout the season they're going to get offered risk or reward deals to where you know they're going to get power but they're going to have to give up something to get something else. Do you risk it? Is it worth the reward? You know to lose something? And so the first risk or reward Frenchie gets offered double or nothing. So the offer is two weeks of safety if you decide to go for it and you complete this, you have to land two oversized dice on this landing in 45 seconds. And if you fail, if you decide to go for it and you fail, you're no longer HOH. And then Claire would get it because she was second place. Her team was second place. So this is something that's they push, you know, that make sure to remember like this has never been offered. So what do you want to do? And they actually send it to break to a uh, commercial trying to figure out what he's going to do. They come back. Frenchie turns it down, which I get. I would, I would have turned it down too. Cause it's like, what if you lose your power? And what was funny is Julie's like, well, you turned it down, but why don't you just go ahead and compete in it anyway? 
And <laughs> so I thought at the time, I was like, you know what? We've got this competition set up and we've still got five minutes of this show left. So, you know, why don't you go set 45 seconds? Let's just see if you can complete the task anyway. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny. And he did complete it with two seconds left. And there's been a lot of debate among the fans on whether you would want to actually show that you could have completed that. So, and then with Frenchie, you know, even though he didn't, he didn't go for it, that still showed he was three for three on competitions. That's another competition that he just won. So that's a big target because people are seeing, oh, hey, he's a, he's a competition winner here. So we also get the announcement that there's the prize. This goes back to the twist at the beginning of the episode. They talked about the highest prize winning total ever. $750,000 is going to be the grand prize for Big Brother 23 this year. Of course, it got a big reaction in the house. And that was it for the premiere. And they hyped up the wild card competition, which we will see on Sunday night's episode. Just a very good premiere. I liked it a lot. So what we're going to do now is we're going to move into the happenings in the house since the premiere happened, we're going to talk live feed stuff. This is going to be spoilers. So if you do not want to know spoilers, now's the time to tune out. So the live feeds went live about 11.30ish last night on, uh, as far as here, Central Time. And it was mostly just a lot of getting to know. It was that kind of thing going on. Just real laid back, calm, just chilled. Uh, atmosphere in the house. Seemed like everybody was just getting along, really enjoying getting to know one another. A lot of game talk. There was a lot of game talk going on, and uh, Frenchie got his HOH room. The only thing that we've seen really conflict-wise is apparently Derek X and Whitney are not fans of one another, so I don't know. I guess something must have happened between them. It didn't sound like anything major, but there's just something. It didn't sound like anything major at all. It just sounded like there's something... Something rubbed both of them wrong. They had some kind of interaction that I guess maybe before the feeds come up that they just didn't didn't click. I don't know what that was about. So maybe we'll see that on the next episode. We have an alliance trying to form. The Slaughterhouse is an alliance that is trying to form in the house. And it's getting bigger and bigger by the hour. They keep adding more to it. So, and the thinking on the Slaughterhouse Alliance name is that they even talked about if we're, if we're going to name an alliance that this has got to be like no remorse kind of moves where we're just, we're just going after people and taking them out with no remorse, no care. And so that's kind of been the joke today, like among a uh, BB Twitter is like the addition of <laughs> how many people keep trying to get added to this uh to this alliance i liked uh i think it was reality bbq uh today they said uh they posted said i think i've even gotten asked to be part of this uh, slaughterhouse alliance today thought that was a good line so that's going to be something to follow so we do kind of have a big alliance that's forming i just I don't know how it's going to work because it's like you've got people like, well, let's add this person. Well, let's add this person. Can we add this one? And so I don't know. We'll have to see how that continues. 
Uh, one thing that really encouraged me last night, I was watching the feeds there in the HOH room with Frenchie, and there was a lot of great like Big Brother history talk, including previous seasons, live feed moments. They were talking about live feed moments, and they were talking about Big Brother Canada and talking about ICA. And I, as I was watching this, it was such a breath of fresh air to where I thought, okay, this is good. These are fans. These are fans. They're not people that have, you know, where we get these house guests every year that it's like, oh, I've seen a couple episodes of Big Brother. I'm a super fan. I love Big Brother. I've seen two episodes. You know, it's that kind of thing. But these are these are fans. So just hearing them talk and then the fact that they knew Ica, I was like, oh, this is great. They know who Ica is and they know Big Brother Canada. And that tells you that if you're a Big Brother fan and you're watching other other countries, Big Brothers like me, you're fans. And so that was very encouraging for me. Um, one thing I noticed, Sarah Beth, earlier today she was talking to Xavier in the bathroom and she was talking about her voice acting. And she was just going on this big story about like her her voice acting career and how she does it and blah, blah, blah. And I just laughed because I knew she was lying. It's like, I knew she wasn't a voice actor. She's a scientist. But she was so good with like her lying and just how great she was telling the story to, to where I was even nodding my own head as I was listening to her. Like, yeah, okay, sure, uh-huh. You know, like, yeah, this she was selling it that well. I'm like, I'm agreeing with her on everything she's saying about her voice acting career that she doesn't actually have. So kudos, girl. That was that was very well pulled off. Good job, Sarah Beth. That's going to be interesting to see how she can continue to pull that off. And then you've got Xavier, who's she's telling the story to, and Xavier's lying about being a bartender. So you've got two people lying about that are talking that are currently lying in the house about their... Uh, about their occupations. Very funny. And so just some random things as far as like the production wise of the feeds. So when the feeds come on last night, we had this this music that was playing. It was very short. It just had the same lyrics over and over. I'm looking to pull up the here it is. Turn it up. Yeah, we're going to celebrate loud enough. Yeah, until the roof shakes. Turn it up and loop that over and over and over and over and over and over. This went, I'd say the loop was maybe 45 seconds. I don't know. All it had was a chorus. There was nothing else to the song except for like this upbeat, like party type song. And those were the lyrics that just repeated over and over. It drove the live feeders crazy in less than 12 hours to where even last night, even by like two o'clock in the morning, people were like Melissa Denny posted a picture or she posted a meme on her Twitter from RHAP. She was, uh, she had the lyrics and she had a meme of a guy in a straight jacket <laughs> to where, rocking in a straight jacket. It was from a family guy. I think it was Family Guy meme, and uh, just funny. Everybody lost their mind, and so by this morning, uh, the by this morning the song was gone, and we were back to the uh, Big Brother theme song. 
that usually plays when the feed's cut, whenever they've got to cut the feeds in the house and they need to put up something. You know, we used to call it front of the house because they'd cut to like the front of the house. Then it was the fish. And so cut to fish and they'd show like the fish tank. So yeah, this, uh, this song drove everybody crazy. So we're back to the generic Big Brother theme song. I don't know if that was the plan all along or if they just listened to the feedback on Twitter and that Big Brother fans were losing their mind or what. But we had that and then there was another funny moment when I was watching the feeds and I'm listening to Brent and Frenchie talk and suddenly there's a British guy that pops up on the TV and he's talking about... A castle. And it's like, what just happened? And it was pretty funny, the reactions to that. Uh, Amon Edwin, RHAP, I laughed at his post where he said, now what in the BBC is going on on these here feeds? <laughs> I thought that was funny. But it was, uh, all of a sudden, we're just listening to this conversation. This, all of a sudden, there's a British guy in front of, uh, in front of a castle talking about like... Uh, it was like a home decor show. I don't know what it was. So that was on for probably two minutes and then it cut back to the feeds. But it was a pretty funny moment to where it just caught us all off guard. Like, what just happened? What is going on? So other than that, as far as like the feeds have been down, as of right now, as I'm recording this, the feeds have been down for a while, as I'm assuming it's the wild card competition that's going on. Again, if you're not familiar with Big Brother, we rarely see competitions on the feeds. The only thing we typically see is if there's an endurance HOH competition that takes place on a Thursday night. We'll occasionally get to see those, but any other competitions, we're just, they shut the feeds down so we don't see them. And it gives us all time to just go chill out for a while. And so as of me recording, this wild card competition is taking place and it uh, we don't have the results yet. So... So that is it for the Big Brother premiere night. Just very encouraged. I like what I see. I've liked what I've seen on the feeds. They just seem like a really like respectful group. And just I don't I don't have anything bad to say about any of them. You know, I've I've uh, I've enjoyed them. I've enjoyed the first 24 hours of Big Brother and so I'm just hoping this this is good. So I'm hoping this is gonna be a good thing. So Big Brother 23, night one, we're underway. So that is it for this week's podcast. Take care. God bless. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.